Nisha's podcast teaser. Episode three, finding Nisha. Phone call from Jay back in London. Hello? Hi, Snoops. So how was Turin? Oh, it's Snooks. You know what? I don't know if it was great or shit or what. It was really strange. I had some weird feelings, highs and lows, stuff going on I couldn't understand. What, 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 what do you mean? So, so what happened with the guy in the record contract? No, no, I sorted all the record stuff out. That's hunky-dory. But there was some weird stuff going on, Jay. The next day in Turin, I kept thinking about us as 15-year-olds, reading books on astral projection, Carlos Castaneda, and the alchemist John D. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Carlos Castaneda. The man of knowledge. The trips we went on, reading those books, and John D. I remember losing myself. It must have been hours. Could have been days. Looking into that obsidian mirror. That's right, yeah. And then, remember, we went to the British Museum and saw all his artefacts there. Do you remember that? Do you remember? Yeah, that was a weird day. The alchemist, John D. Something happened there that must have followed us for years because it all came back to me in Turin. What happened in Turin? Why would you remember that? What's going on, Snibs? Oh, this is the thing. It must have been in the books. Hold on. Books? You and books? What books are you talking about now? Well, this is the thing. The next day in the Airbnb apartment, waking up on my own, I had this desolate, lonely feeling really compressing down on me. But it wasn't just me looking at myself on my own. It was something more than that. I I don't know. There was something in the air, in the room I was in. Although it was dark, I passed the shelf of books in an alcove on my way to the kitchen. And I just stopped in the darkness. And it was as if I smelt something, tasted something. So I looked for a lie, and then... What? What? These books, Jay, this could have been the British Museum. They were rare. What were they doing here? Who owns them? Everyone I touched and opened sort of spoke to me with this arcane hermetic treasure. Wow. I mean, most of them were handwritten. They've got to be at least three or four hundred years old. The illustrations, the symbols, names that jumped out at me even though they were in Latin and Italian. You know what? Nostradamus lived in Turin, didn't you? That's, yeah, that's, that's right, yeah. I tell you what, these books could have been his. I must have spent half an hour standing there transfixed, lost in his half-light. So eventually, I go and have some breakfast, have a cup of coffee, and think about getting to this art gallery I plan to visit. And that's when it hit me. What? A feeling of total nothingness. Like I was falling into some kind of unfathomable void. I don't know why. You went back there, to that point in our lives. Yeah, maybe. I could see the clearing again, the pathway that took us to that void. We had to get out, and I felt that again. I don't know. Maybe it was in the books. Ah, Jay, there was something there in Turin. Maybe it was in the mirror. Yeah, the mirror. The trip through the mirror. That summer of 76, what a year. (laughs) The next day, remember what happened then? Your dad, Dead Man's Island, the ancient Paleolithic axe head. That was one of the funniest things ever. Yeah, I remember after raiding Schweppes' factory with our booty <laughs> of drink, floating down from the Brent River like yeah. pirates on our makeshift yeah. BJAM polystyrene boats and landing on our camp in Dead Man's Island, getting drunk on bottles of Dubonnet and yeah. Newcastle Brown Ale. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, what a combination that was. We had hundreds of crates of drink stashed in the fridge. And suddenly, there he was. My dad. Yeah, and your brother, Ilya. I just said one word. Shit. 
Yeah, and I said, you don't look too happy. <laughs> I couldn't even run there. There was nowhere to go. Oh, that was a classic. I remember him shouting over, Jason, what are you doing over there, son? <laughs> and he said nothing. But you had a bottle of Duboni in your hand and he said, well, what's that you got? <laughs> are you drinking? Oh, do you remember what happened next? <laughs> yes. I calmly passed you the bottle and said, it's yours. <laughs> yeah, and what did I do? <laughs> you raised your left arm and proceeded to drink from the bottle behind said arm while slowly descending into the bulrushes. I took the cue and decided to join you. <laughs> we were pissing ourselves. <laughs> oh, no. And then we heard that amazing bellow that came out of your dad. I remember the silence after he said he's coming to get me. We both looked at each other and slowly peeped our heads over the reeds to see him take his first step across the river. <laughs> I wanted to shout out, no, no! <laughs> it was too late. He'd already taken a step onto what he thought was a rock, but in fact was a rotten, mouldy lump of polystyrene. That's right. And by the third step, it was all over. The only trace of him was his glasses floating on the surface. <laughs> I can still remember the sound of exploding water as he went under. I thought, I'm dead. <laughs> oh, I was going to die laughing. Um, <laughs> and when he finally came up, started scrambling back up the bank, slipping in all the mud. Even I thought, that's it. <laughs> We've had it. And he would have had if he hadn't seen something shining in that riverbank. Oh, yeah, the, the axe said, yeah. The obsidian axe. Yeah, when we went across and I pulled that out of the mud and he saw it. He saw it immediately and he was transfixed. He couldn't take his eyes off it. I gave him his glasses back and he held out his hand. Let me see that. And that was it. This is obsidian, he said. Yeah, that fateful discovery saved the day. If it wasn't for his foot seeking out a rock that wasn't true, we would never have unearthed that magical object. That hunter's tool from, you know, who knows when. He kept repeating, this is old, this is old, we'll have to take it to the museum. Yeah, and that was it. We all just walked back to your house as if nothing had happened. Yeah. In walking along the Broadway, soaking <laughs> wet, you're covered in mud, holding this axe head, just saying, this is definitely obsidian, this is obsidian. Mm. He knew what it was, though. He had that knowledge. Mirrors and axes, all made of glass. I'm still trying to make sense of all now. Turin. <laughs> something has happened in Turin. Yeah, there was something going on. I mean, you know, besides the fact with the record being uncovered and people pushing that forward, there was something else I couldn't explain. So anyway, I eventually just... I've got to this art gallery, this amazing art gallery in the castle out in the countryside, overlooking Turin from up high. I was blown away by the art, some great modern pieces. But the work that struck me the most was this small canvas by Giorgio de Cherico. I mean, looking at it, I was becoming aware of space and time being distorted. Oh, you'd love it, Jane. There was two figures, their faces painted as mannequins that sort of were contemplating reality. I mean, in a kind of surrealist way. Yet years before the surrealist, oh, you would have loved it, Jane. And the funny thing is, because I was looking at it, that is exactly what I thought to myself. How you would have appreciated this work. Well, it had a big impact on me. I couldn't quite figure out why. And then I read the museum's two-page guide on the excellent exhibition. And there it was illustrated, the Jericho painting, and how the artist was greatly influenced by the philosopher Nietzsche in making this breakthrough work where he was using these long, long dark shadows coming out of classical buildings. It then mentioned that Nietzsche actually stayed in Turin and eventually went mad there. And that was it. I was kind of taken over by this thought of Nietzsche going mad in Turin. Honestly, I don't know, Jay, it was mad. I don't... And since then, since I got back, 
this Nisha going mad in Turin has taken me over. After coming out of the exhibition, I go and have a coffee and a fag in this lovely veranda cafe, feeling really rejuvenated and exhilarated, especially after I was feeling early that day. I wasn't the same. I know that now. Wow. You really saw something. Yeah, well, something saw me. Something definitely took me over, Jay. I was just sitting, enjoying the late afternoon sun, happy and content again. I started reading the exhibition guide, and then I had to write down a few lines. Going mad in Turin, with wild shadows swinging in, and the dark side of this town. Well, it's the best place, the best place that I've ever been. The sun was high in the sky, the cerulean sky, the stylish coffee cup on the table that didn't wobble. It was heaven. I thought, how could this Nisha go mad here? I felt completely at peace. Mm. Everything was in tune. No aches, no pains, no torments. Pen in hand, writing some lines. I was thinking, there aren't many days. There aren't many days, really, when you feel complete at ease. You know, I remember in my early 20s when we were on gear, waking up one morning, getting out of bed, and feeling on top of the world. You know, fit, replenished, perfect, no doubts. You know, it must have had the perfect sleep. Not just a drug-induced sleep, but a complete perfect sleep. Not like when I woke up that morning in Turin, that's for sure. But after the art gallery, that De Cherico painting, the Nisha going mad in Turin thing, I felt great again. One of those rare moments. And that ekphrasis in excelsis. So when I got back and read up on Nisha staying in Turin, the fact that he missed his train and was delayed by a day before he got <laughs> there sort of stuck in my mind. How he was all disorientated for a few days. This book I got about his last days in Turin had all these details about where he stayed, how he got to his apartment from the train station at Rivoli, where he walked to. So I looked up on a map where his apartment was in Turin, and it was Via Carlo Alberto, just to see where it was. I couldn't believe it. I worked out. After coming out of the Rivoli train station myself and just walking anywhere, I didn't know where, where I was, and finally coming to a stop to write down some more words. Well, that spot, Jay. The spot I sat down in was right below the apartment he stayed in. <laughs> yeah, how weird is that? And the fact that I missed my plane on the way out to Turin and was a day late, I mean, am I reading more into this? I don't know. I mean, what are the chances that I had to get off at this stop on the metro, not knowing what was there, and walk along this route, eventually come to a hall right below where he stayed, and write some words down? What's going on? A series of unfortunate events. Really? I've been waiting for this moment all of my life. Please read on. Yeah, it's powerful, Jay. It's like all the other times where I just felt that this is where and what I need to be. I couldn't tell you why. I just knew something was guiding me. I mean, I could try to psychoanalyse it, but that would be a mistake. This is more of a deep historical hermeneutic vein. One could even say a phenomenological happening. And this time, I know I can't let this pass me by. I'm ready for the dance. I'm going to do what I always wanted to do, Jay, back in 1982 with Scenes of the Bohem. I'm going to write a modern opera, or as I imagined it, a Zeet opera, only not about us as Bohemians in London. Now, I'm going to write a Zeet opera about Nisha going mad in Turin. It just seems right. That's what I have to do, and I'm going to use the synthesizer to compose most of it. It all makes sense now. This is it. No more mucking around. Nah, nah, nah. It's time to attempt it, to create a masterpiece. Scene three, two days later, phone call to Julian. Ah, Van Wardrobe. Van Puccini, how's things going? Are you still getting obsessed with Nietzsche? Yeah, I can't help it. I've delved into most of his philosophical books and I've just read this amazing biography about him, which gives a lot of info about his time in Turin. And the fact that he wasn't just a philosopher, 
He was more of a great artist, a revolutionary, a modern thinker. Everything about him is this immense struggle to get to some kind of truth, to become the ultimate artist. I love it. You know I me, mean? I get excited. Yes, Anthony. I've never met anyone quite like you and your obsession. It's either that or madness. I'm lucky, really. I have a curious soul that constantly needs topping up with intoxication. Music, as you know, helps. Anyway, listen, I've made up this great riff on the new Symphobor. As soon as I turned it on, it just came out. This great riff. And to top it all, those words I told you about that I wrote about Nisha, the words fit over this perfectly. Go mad into Rin. I'll play it to you Sunday, our rehearsal. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. This is exciting. Have you heard anything about the American record coming out? Nah, the last I heard from her, she was still baking the tapes. Anyway, Gene Luca is bringing out his own remix of Zara, so wait and see with them. You know what? What? I've just realised. What? Zara. What? Zaratustra. The first four letters are the same. Oh, yeah. I always thought, you know, that was a strange spelling, Zara. Z-A-R-A.